Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hi there, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and one of the reasons I invited our guest today is that this woman has accomplished something so very, very rare, especially for a self-published author, in that this lady actually wrote and promoted a number one best-selling self-published book on all of Amazon. And there's a lot more to this woman who is the great Julie Broad. Julie knows what it takes, obviously, to be a self-published author. And through Book Launchers and her popular YouTube channel, Book Launchers TV, she helps subject matter experts write, publish, and promote nonfiction books to boost their business. Julie's titles include More Than Cashflow, which was her number one on all of Amazon bestseller in 2013. She also has written The New Brand You, winner of the 2016 Beverly Hills Book Award for Best Sales Book. And her latest book, released in 2021, Self-Publish and Succeed, captures her top tactics to write, publish, and market a nonfiction book. Julie is a recognized, successful entrepreneur and notable speaker. She's also received the Top 20 Under 40 Award for her business and community contributions. Her advice for authors and investors has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur.com, Yahoo Business, Medium.com, and many local and national TV shows. So I hope that you will uh, give Julie your full attention in this episode today because she has tremendous wisdom and insight to share from her many successes in the self-publishing arena. Enjoy. Julie, welcome to the Author's Corner. Oh, thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you. And, you know, when I came across your, you know, you've got some great YouTube videos. I mean, you're really good at doing that, by the way. I could probably learn a few things from you there. (laughs) 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 But one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today is to talk about self-publishing because I really love your attitude towards self-publishing, right? I think a lot of people view self-publishing as kind of a, you know, the consolation prize, right? (laughs) Or or sort of the, the redheaded stepchild of publishing when really that's not true. And you know, what I always tell people is that the decision of your publishing route should always be a strategic one. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the best strategy is in fact to self-publish. And so I would love it if you could kick us off by just sharing with us a little bit your story and how you landed in this self-publishing arena, because I think it's fascinating. 
Yeah. And it's funny because I was kind of one of those people. Like I didn't think self-publishing was like, it wouldn't make you a legitimate author, I guess is essentially how I felt. And I had friends that had gotten book deals and were getting published. And through you know a variety of things, I ended up getting introduced to a couple of different publishers, a couple of different editors at, at some traditional publishers. And at the time I was in real estate. So I had a real estate training and education company and I did YouTube back then, but before there was a lot of fancy editing, you had a flip camera and it like you shot it on this flip camera and the USB uploaded straight to YouTube. (laughs) So I've been doing YouTube a long time and I love it. So that was my real estate. I was in real estate at the time. And so this was a real estate conversation, but I was really excited because when I started talking to these editors, I was like, I've got a book idea. Like, I really think this is going to be a great book. And the different people I talked to all said, "Eh, like, that sounds like a general real estate book. I don't think it's going to sell, but you know, I'd read 70 odd real estate books at that time. And I was like, this nobody's written this, but okay, you know, you're the experts. And it kind of went down the line that, you know, they were rejecting my idea, but Wiley actually stopped and said, actually, we're interested in working with you. You know, we don't like that idea, but we have a book idea that we've been thinking we'd like somebody to write. So here they were giving me a book idea. We built the book proposal together, which is really rare. Most people have to have an agent and a proposal before you're ever talking to the publisher. So we spent three months building this book proposal together. So it never occurred to me that I wasn't getting a book deal. Now that might seem egotistical, but the way it went, it just never occurred to me that there was not a book deal at the end of this. (laughs) I think that's a reasonable conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, spoiler alert, there wasn't. (laughs) Uh, I got an email from them and that said, you know, after everything was done and it was submitted and I was just waiting for the the offer, I ended up getting an email that said the marketing department doesn't feel you have a strong enough platform to sell books. And so I was devastated because at that point I felt like there was now no option, right? You know, it was like, Mm. well, none of these publishers like my idea, Wiley like me, but now even with their great book idea, which they thought was great, I actually, looking back, I really didn't even want to write that book, but I was wooed by the whole process. And they said I didn't have enough juice to sell books. So I was like, well, nobody's going to want me after this. And so I was pretty devastated. But my husband said, well, we had friends that had self-published and they'd sold thousands and thousands and thousands of books and had done tremendous things for their real estate business. He's like, we can self-publish. And I was like, oh, but that's not real. You know, that's not, that's not really <laughs> publishing. But lots of things happened. And eventually I thought, you know what, that book I wanted to write, it was important enough that I felt like I had to write it no matter what. And so I dove into self-publishing, but I dove into it a little bit differently than a lot of people do in that I dove into it going, okay, well, if I'm not going to get a traditional book deal, I'm going to do it better than if I had. And so I wanted to know everything traditional publishers did and wanted to do it a little bit more and a little bit better. And I threw myself into as much the book as I did into publishing and learned Mm -hmm. everything I could. And I ended up taking my book, the book idea that nobody thought was good by the person who couldn't sell books. And I took it to number one on Amazon in print books. So a niche nonfiction self-published book going to number one ahead of Dan Brown, ahead of Game of Thrones, selling thousands and thousands of copies. So that felt good. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that blew my mind, right? Because, you know, you hear so many people talk about, oh, I'm a number one Amazon bestseller. And they don't mean number one on Amazon. They mean number one in a tiny category, usually some often an obscure category on Amazon. So let's open that up a little bit. Like how on earth did you hit number one on all of Amazon as a self-published author? Because that just is so far above the average. It's not even in view of the average. It's like, trying to look at the average from the moon. Yeah, <laughs> <Kind of> it, <laughs> it's not like I can give you my seven step formula so you could do it too. Like it's, you know, it's one of those right. things where I, luck was on my side in a lot of ways, but I did do a lot of things right. And one of the things was I had built, 
I'd been 10, you know, by the time my book came out, I'd actually been in real estate for 12 years, but I'd really been networking hard for probably five or six. So I had some really, really strong relationships. And, you know, if anybody ever goes to my YouTube channel, you'll see I give it like I give a ton of value to a lot of people. And it's in my heart to give and serve and help as much as I possibly can. And so that kind of mindset, I built some really strong relationships where people were stepping forward without me even asking and saying, like, how can I help you? What can I do for you with this book launch? And so I had a few people do some really cool things that made this book launch tremendously successful. One of them was I had a colleague, he was a former actually mentor of ours in the real estate, was exiting completely from real estate. And he had a $300 course that he was just pulling off the market. He wasn't even going to sell it anymore. And he gave it to us to give away for free as an incentive to anybody who bought three books or more during the launch week. And it was a perfect tie into the book. So that was tremendous value. And then we had a lot of people, you know, real estate investors, real estate investing groups, mortgage brokers, realtors that had newsletters and they all promoted the book during launch week because not only were they going to get the book, but they were going to get this phenomenal course that everybody investing in real estate could benefit from both of these things. So that was really all it was. I had an email newsletter list of 10,000 people. I went social media. This was 2013. I've never been particularly exceptional at social media anyways, but I didn't have much of a social media following that. I did have a YouTube channel, but it didn't have like it had a few thousand people. So that was it. I mean, that it was the network that I had built that had their own audiences and it was a perfect message market match. Um, and then there was the bonus incentive of this $300 course that not only was a legitimately $300, but it was not even going to be, it was no longer available on the market. Right. Which made it that gave that scarcity. Yeah. So, but all of that really taught me that, and I looked back on it and I thought, you know what, this was better than if I had gotten a traditional book deal because I put my heart and soul into it. People got behind me in a way that they probably wouldn't have if Wiley was actually the publisher, because they kind of liked the fact that I'd been shot down and I was doing it anyways. That was why people were going like, how can I help you with this? Because in that circle, you know, people knew all the people that were getting book deals and they didn't really understand why I wasn't getting a book deal because I had just as much to bring to the table as a lot of the people who did get book deals. So there was that part of it, but you know, I made so much more money. Like so oh, much yeah. oh, I'm sure. than if I'd gotten a book deal. Oh, and I had yeah. the rights. <laughs> yeah, and you own the rights. Exactly. I mean, you know, that makes me think, oh shoot, I hope I don't lose this because you know, something though, a nugget that I'm getting out of what you're sharing is that if you had not shared about your experience and been vulnerable to share your experience, like that wouldn't have happened, right? So I really wanna point that out for our listeners, because, you know, some people might've been like, Oh my God, I'm just so embarrassed. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anybody to know about it. I don't want to think about it again. I'm curious, like, did you share about this, like with individuals or did you send an email to your network and say, Hey, this happened, or just want to deep dive a little bit deeper into that? Because I think that there's a, something valuable there. Yeah. I mean, it was in a lot of conversations. I think at some point I actually did, I probably was communicating this through my newsletter list. Right. To a point, I'm very transparent and open yeah. about things. There's two reasons why I think nobody really wants to learn from somebody where everything's going right. So in the training and education space, if you're always talking about all the great things that are happening, eventually you're going to irritate people or they're going to not believe you. If everything is going right, like I can't relate to you because like things go wrong all the time. All the time. <laughs> and so that's part of it is I've never believed too much that you have to hide. You know, I, there were certain things. And that was the interesting thing about my book, actually, was I did tell some of the stories that I hadn't told before because I believed people needed to understand where I was coming from with my advice. 
but we had hidden some of them because we were real estate investors that took other people's money for investment purposes. You know, they invested in the properties that we were buying. And so we didn't want people to necessarily know some of these ugly mistakes we'd made when they gave us their money. But at the same time, we knew we had to. And so that was one thing I've kind of, the more I've shared over the years, the more I've learned that there's a power in sharing. And I believe that it's also any dark day is a phenomenal chapter and a dark year makes a phenomenal book. <laughs> you have to be far enough past it that you have the insight and the lessons to draw right. and to share for the reader. Because it's not just about sharing how things are ugly. It's like, okay, this is what you can learn so you don't have to go through what I went through. Exactly, exactly. And it's being able to share from the other side yeah, so that you can say, even when you screw up this badly, you can still pull yourself out. You know, there's exactly. still hope, right? Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So you hit number one on all of Amazon. So continue, please. Yeah. I kind of lost the thread on where we were, but it was really largely because of all of that network. I didn't do any, like at that point, I had not spent any money on marketing. It wasn't until about five months later that I actually hired somebody to do PR and I'd gotten some PR already, but I felt like, okay, this was big and this was good enough. I should be on TV. I should be doing more. And I had a lot of speaking engagements already. So the book tripled the size of that speaking engagement calendar. And so I just got a PR person who started booking TV in all the cities I was speaking in. So it was just kind of doubling down on that. So I spent money on that, but it was not about selling books at that point, which was good because it turns out TV doesn't sell books. didn't know that at the time, but we've seen that we've gotten our authors on a lot of TV shows. Good Morning America sold some books. 2020 sold some books. Yeah. None of the other TV stations sold some books. And that's another thing about self-publishing is you can see, because you can check your sales dashboard every day. When you're traditionally published, you're lucky if you're getting a quarterly sales report and you have no idea what moved the needle on your book sales. But with self-publishing, you can get a sense because you can see there's a spike today. I was on TV there's a correlation. So anyways, (laughs) your publisher is being proactive and sharing that with you. You won't know that stuff. That's so very true. I recently wrote an article for Forbes.com about that very thing, like the things that cause book sales and the things that don't. And PR raises awareness, which can lead to book sales, but it's not really a true cause of book sales like speaking is. (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We've seen upticks, like I said, from a couple of major, major shows, but typically there's like almost no change. Now, newspaper is interesting. Newspaper does have, um, especially if you get an article that gets syndicated across a lot of platforms, you can see a blip and it's one of those blips that's like high and then it drops. Like you can kind of see like a three or four day blip after that. But I suspect that's you know, even going to start to fade. Cause I know myself, I used to read two papers a day and I don't read any newspapers anymore. Like, I don't want to see any of that. <laughs> I, was, I mean, that is an interesting correlation though, because obviously if you're subscribing to a newspaper that you're a reader, right? So that <laughs> readers buy books. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. I wasn't aware that that's an interesting insight that you got better results with the print media. Absolutely. And a lot of people read their newspapers online now too. So your link at the end of it gets clicked on versus, you know, you hear it, they have to try to remember it. Or if they see it, usually they're watching the morning news. Like I always got morning news. Our clients always seem to get morning news. I guess that's when they talk to authors is in the morning. And people are usually watching it while they're getting ready. And their brain is on their day, not on what you're saying, I think. Exactly. And when they're getting the kids ready for school. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And we know how distracting that can be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's really true. That's also true if you're reading the article and you can get to the bottom and click on the link to get straight to the book while you're thinking of it, that can be really facilitative as well. So you had tremendous success as a self-publisher. So how did you get from real estate to actually helping people with books? Yeah, it's a fun little journey that's never a straight line. That's pretty much how I think anybody's life actually is. I never thought I would get into this. I mean, my background was real estate and finance and <laughs> all those things. As a little girl, though, I did think I'd be a writer, but then somebody told me writers didn't make money and I like money. <laughs> so I went to business school. But what happened was my book did so well in the real estate space. I ended up having a lot of people coming to our real estate coaching who wanted to write a book, who had written a book and were wondering why it wasn't selling. And I ended up actually content editing and kind of writing, co-writing and writing chapters for some of the books that did get deals with Wiley. Because <laughs> the authors knew me and they wanted my right. input and they wanted my <laughs> name on their book. Go figure, right? And so I ended up doing a lot in the book space and I loved it. Real estate was never supposed to be my thing. I started investing in 2001 just because I was like, I need to get my money working for me. Thank you, Rich Dad. And it just was there when I decided to quit my job. It was just you know, it's something I had a dozen properties and it just seemed like the natural fit. And so that was as the books kind of came through and I started to see, and I also started to see a lot of the garbage, you know, that these 10 chapter business card books, they were horrible. And people were so sad because they felt like they were paying for a real book. And then it's terrible. Their friends read it and go, Ooh, and nobody buys it. So that was really prominent too in like 2015, 2016. And I just kept looking around going, there's got to be a better way. And I also knew the hundreds of hours I had put into research to do a book as good as a traditionally published book and the hiring. Oh my goodness. Hiring people when you don't even really know what you're looking for. Right. Um, oh God. And it's like shark infested waters. Oh gosh. Like you get range, like you start getting quotes and you're like $8,000 for this edit all the way down to 300. And like, what's the difference? And so. I just kept looking at all of that stuff and going, there needs to be a marketing focused, because that's what traditional publishers do. They focus on, are you going to sell me books? Marketing focused company that has everything under one roof and takes, especially for business people who are busy running a business, but they know they want a book, takes them through the entire process, including the marketing at the end, so that everything they're doing is set up to focus towards that marketing. And the book is as good or better than a traditionally published book. And that was just where my passions kept going. And so I started to dream up what that company would look like and took all the things I didn't like and found a way around those and tried to bring in all the things I did like. And so, yeah. And then I just decided one day I sent an email out to all my real estate people and said, I'm opening a publishing company. Does anybody want to be a beta author? And I had 10 (laughs) clients. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrific. That's terrific. And you know, that is something that even in the traditional world, which most of our clients, we actually help them get agents and book deals. So we're kind of the other side. But the thing that happens to most self-published authors, as well as traditionally published authors, actually, is that when the book is out, they feel like they've been dropped into this chasm of oblivion where, you know, the publisher does some things, but certainly not enough to drive a number one Amazon bestseller, for example, and, you know, as a self-publisher, if you're going with one of these hybrid presses, forget about it, right? Or a vanity press or a so-called yeah. hybrid publisher. You know, most of them aren't really hybrid publishers. They're vanity presses. And they're not going to do anything for you. And so I think this is a great, unique aspect of your process 
where they not only get a book in their hands, but then there's more to help them go forward. And like in terms of, so how do you find your author's outcomes comparatively? I mean, how are they doing with that side of it? And, you know, what is their experience? Yeah. I mean, it varies widely author to author. And that's the thing I always tell people too, is, is there's kind of two things I can promise you. And that is that I have no idea how your book launch is going to do. Like that's pretty much a guarantee. I don't know for sure. Cause there's book launches. I thought we're going to absolutely crush that kind of were like fizzle. <laughs> it really didn't do much. And then there's others where I thought, Oh, I'm not sure about that one. And then it's sailing and it just keeps getting higher. But you know, typically if somebody has an audience already, that's what traditional publishers look for. But if they already have an audience, they are likely to have a very strong launch and they're going to sell, you know, depending on where their audience is, they're going to sell a fairly predictable number of books based on their audience. And as long as the book is a fit for that audience, because some people try to go way out in left field and it has nothing to do with the people that follow well, them and listen yeah, to them. That's what I usually recommend is something for their journal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or, you know, a pen name or, <laughs> or just for friends and family, but not yeah. for your audience. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our clients fall into the category of people with very small audiences who are really, they've had success and they're kind of emerging now and going, okay, I want other people to know about, you know, either how I exceeded or even just to know my name in this space as someone who has had success. And so those people don't have an audience. So we typically do what is called a phased momentum launch. And what happens is you're leveraging whatever you've got to launch, but then you're really building momentum over time. So every month you're doing things that layer onto the previous months so that over time your book sales are actually increasing. And this works really well for people who are willing to keep going. Yeah. And what I mean by that is you have a hundred sales in month one and you know, 102 in month two, and you're still able to go, okay, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> and that's hard. You know, it's a hard mental thing to just keep doing the things, but you know, we have had some great stories like Robert Bell is probably my favorite. He had kind of that trajectory, right? Like medium, actually small to medium sized launch for a self-published author and has built momentum. And through just doing the podcasts and the interviews and all those things, he developed a really powerful message that ended up getting him on TED Global Ideas. Nice. And so his video last I saw was over 1.5 million views. It was featured on TED's homepage. And so now his life is crazy exciting with lots of cool opportunities. And that's just one of those things. Like he started with a, a book that he was passionate about and we had to build momentum and he stuck with it month after month. He stuck with it. And I think that's something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, just, put that mindset. I want to plus what you're saying here, because I think the biggest mistake that authors make is they stop promoting their book too soon yep. or, or never promote it. But if they do promote it, they stop within the first three months. And that is just guaranteed, like don't even promote it if you're going to stop in the first three months, yeah. because you're not going to capture that momentum that you're talking about. And really, if you ever listen to Jack Canfield talk about this, I mean, one of the best selling books of all time, Chicken Soup for the Soul, he and Mark Victor Hansen promoted that book every day for 14 months before it hit the New York Times bestsellers list mm -hmm. for the first time and then remained there for I don't even know how many yeah decades, <laughs> it seems. But that wouldn't have ever happened if they stopped even in month 12. Yep. How many people might say, well, I'm going to promote it for a year? It's rare. It's well, very rare. I, I've seen it over and over again. That It takes a solid two years. If you really want your book to get legs, yep. you've got to promote it consistently for two years, and then you'll start to 
I mean, that's what I've seen anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. And we have one client who his book came out in 2018 and he's still with us because the way we're set up, you can stay as long as you're still with us, you're still a member. Um, we keep marketing your book. And so he's been with us since 2017, but his book launched in 2018. He's still with us. And two or three months ago, he had the most, as we do monthly marketing reports for all our clients, the total obsessed. His book sold the most out of all of our clients that month. And that's three and a half years post launch. And that's, you know, that's just the Amazon and Barnes and Noble sales. That's not bulk that he might be doing because he does a lot of conferences and events and things like that too. So yeah, it was really exciting. And we were like, this is just proof. And what you're saying too, is that you've got to keep at it and keep marketing it and keep talking about it. And if you really get bored of that one, write another book. And so you've got two to promote because you've got something new to talk about. Um, Cause some people just feel like, Oh, I've said this a thousand times. Well, <laughs> you probably have, but the people listening to you haven't heard it a thousand times. So <laughs> Yeah, that can be a challenge, right? When you feel like, how could anybody still be interested in this? It's because because for them, it's not still. Exactly. <laughs> it's the first time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's such great insight. And that's so important to remember. So we know now how you got here. And we know a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, I mean, I just want to recap that help on the back end with the promotion is so key. What are some other things that you do with your authors in terms of helping them promote their books? Yeah. So I think one of the things a lot of people, we get a lot of people who come to us with their book finished and they're like, here, go market my book. And with rare exceptions, which are typically traditionally published authors who have realized they're getting no marketing from their publisher or little marketing, they are looking for more and the book is well done to the level that we know we can help them. But typically if you're self-publishing and you're coming to us at that point, we're actually going to turn you away. Because a lot of what we do marketing-wise comes in so early and there's so many important layers that need to go into this. And you'll know this well, because if you're working on proposals and you know getting agents, you know all these pieces that have to be thought through before the book even gets written. And so that's, you know, a lot of what we do is keyword, category, pricing, and competition research while you're in editing to make sure that there's no red flags, to make sure that we've got keywords built into that title, subtitle. Online discoverability has never been more vital than it is today. So we need to make sure your title, which is the highest value keyword place, that you've got those keywords in there. And that's some of the things we do. And then we're also looking at table of contents because I believe every chapter title is a little salesperson for your book. And, you know, if you've got great chapter titles that create curiosity and add value, you're going to get speaking gigs. You're going to get media attention. That's something that a lot of people are going to buy your book because they look at it and go, ooh, this is interesting. I haven't read anything like this before. And they'll buy it. And so that's stuff that you can't fix after the book is done. And so some of the marketing we're doing is really early, just like traditionally published books too. The pre-sale period is really important. You know, the time from when you can start sending out art copies and get reviewers, get endorsements, get influencers to read it. Book reviewers largely want the book eight weeks at least before it is actually going to be launched. So, you know, you got to get it out there and really start driving that early momentum. So if you're expecting a big launch, those, you know, that is really, really vital. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, ARC is an advanced review copy. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) And it means exactly what it sounds like. You send it to reviewers or potential endorsers. And it's really nice if you can get it before your book has been laid out officially, because then all those endorsements can go in the early pages of the book, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of our listeners have seen, right? Where there's a couple endorsements on the back, but then there's pages and pages of endorsements. 
that came from those advanced review copies. So honestly, I briefly worked as an acquisitions editor for a small independent press. I can totally relate to what you're saying, Julie, because I would get people sending us manuscripts who were real experts and, and there was good quality information in there, but the positioning was completely off. Mm-hmm. And they were totally focused on what was interesting to them. And they weren't focused at all on what would be interesting to a, a potential reader. And I would be just crushed for this person because I'd look at this and I'd say, you know, I can see there's value here. And I remember even I got on the phone with some of them and I was like, look, you know, here's really where the, like if you repositioned it this way, and I realized they didn't know how to execute on that. They weren't able to take my advice and do anything with it. And that's when I realized that I needed to not be an acquisitions editor anymore. And I needed to go into book coaching. That was actually what pushed me in because I knew somebody needs to get to these people before they go to a publisher or an agent because they're never going to break through this. They're going to make the mistake of thinking they had a bad idea when they just didn't frame it right. Yeah. I mean, you hit one of my hot buttons, which is, you know, you're writing this book for your reader. You know, it might be about you. It might be your entire life story, but it's not for you. It's for your reader. And if you're too focused on yourself, it's so boring. One of my litmus tests when I look at a book is I see how many chapters start with I. And if you've got more than one chapter in your book starting with I, you've probably got a problem. And if you've got lots of paragraphs that start with I, you've definitely got a problem. (laughs) This is also true for speaking. Actually, I'm not going to name names. I have a very good friend who's a coach for speakers. And we went to an event that's a very well-attended event for speakers. And we would sit in the back of the room and just count how many I's and me's we heard. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It was frightening. It was frightening, but it's so true, right? It's for the reader. And I'm thinking of an example of a a fellow who came to me who had done something extraordinary. He had from the ground up built a direct marketing company that they sold for $35 million 10 years after they built it. So not bad. So initially he had a 40,000 word manuscript, bless his heart. That was all about like, here's how I did it and how my brother and my team did it. And I was like, Nobody cares because you're not Lee Iacocca, you know, <laughs> or Phil Knight, or, you know, you're, you're just not, nobody cares how you did it. So we need to figure out where this message needs to market. And we ended up figuring out like he had a whole different sort of relationship to risk than most business people. So we hmm. ended up reframing it and calling it the risk advantage and the entrepreneur's unexpected guide to whatever it was. But yeah. it was a long time ago. But the idea is, it's there usually. That's the thing. And it's so important to have someone in your life, you know, someone like you for self-published authors, right? Who can help a person see where they can take all these. He got to tell all his favorite stories, in yep. that book, right? Not one of his favorite stories was missing from that book, but he did it in a way that the reader could see themselves in the book. That's the key, isn't it? That the reader has to not just be included, but they've got to be able to see themselves in what in the stories you're telling about yourself, they have to be able to see themselves there. Exactly. And they have to quickly see why you're telling them this story too. So that they can see the relevance. So just like speakers, right? Sometimes, you know, they've got a really great story, but like three to five minutes in, you're like, why are you telling me this? So sometimes if you do have a longer story, you need to kind of lead in with what the outcome is or what the lesson's going to be. 
and then tell the story because people have to know why you're telling them this personal story, even if it's a great story, because we're very selfish focused human human beings. (laughs) I I call not telling them where it's going. I call that the white van approach. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Just get in, just get in. I promise you it's good. Just get in. Uh, I don't think so. I think I'll just wait here for the bus with the label on it. Yeah, Thank you. that's good. The only people that can get away with that are comedians when you've paid to go to a comic. Like, that's the only people that can get away with that because you trust that there's going to be a payoff at the end. Right. Of it. Sometimes there isn't, but you still trust that there's going to be. So you'll sit through a five minute story. Hang on. Will they wait for it. Exactly. <laughs> <waiting> for it. <laughs> That's so true. That's the comedians can just, and the better they are, the longer they can string you along. Yeah. yeah. They are. It's spinning a yarn. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, going back to the manuscript example, you're right. We get a lot of manuscripts that the spark of what's awesome about them and their story and what is going to be valuable to other people is there. And it's hard for authors to see it themselves. And so a lot of times that outside perspective makes all the difference in turning it around. And we had one similar example that the client came to us and his friend who was quite, you know, she had good advice, but she said, you know what, like, there's no saving this, it should go in the bin. And he brought it to us. And he was like, is she right? Like, it's okay, you can tell me if she's right. And we read it and we were kind of like, oh, like, this is cool. And it was a book he'd written about the empathy formula. So it was kind of all about how being empathetic in business was a better approach. But it was the packaging. It was like, nobody's going to buy empathy. Nobody cares about being more empathetic. And, you know, through a process, we ended up coming up with this concept with him called mean people suck, right? (laughs) Right? And it's the opposite of empathy. But a lot of people think they have to be mean in business to get profits, to get all this work out of their team. And his perspective was completely the opposite. And so mean people suck was born. And it was, you know, you know, be, how empathy can lead to better profits and a better life. But you're right. Like the spark was there. The whole manuscript, the empathy formula is still alive and well inside of the book. It's just called mean people suck. And that's the theme. <laughs> really. And the key really is in that subtitle, which should always answer that question. Why should I read this book? What's in this book for me? Right. And so he can help you boost profits and And have a better life. Yep. Better life. Okay. I want those two things. (laughs) Now you have my attention, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So important. So great. Oh my goodness. Can't believe how the time is just zooming past us here. Well, Julie, what should I have asked you that I haven't touched upon or that you wish I would ask you so you would have a chance to talk about? (laughs) Um, well, one other thing, I mean, I could talk about just about anything, so we could keep going for hours. <laughs> but, you know, since we did talk about my book going to number one, a lot of people think that their launch is, you know, they have unrealistic expectations of what their launch is going to be. And we've, we've kind of touched on this. So I feel like it's a relevant topic to kind of wrap everything up. We have a launch strategy menu for authors. And a lot of people think the menu is based on like, kind of like a restaurant, like what you feel like eating. If the menu is not based on what you feel like having for your launch, right? You don't go, Ooh, I want the Wall Street Journal bestseller launch this time. It is based on your resources that you have and that you're bringing to the table. And that is really what it's based on. Of course, there's a little bit of like, how far do you want to push yourself? But you know, if you have no audience and you're not willing to invest a hundred thousand dollars, the Wall Street Journal, it's not on the menu today. So you really have to look at your resources and resources are your audience the network that you have and their audience and how much you can count on that network 
Because a lot of people will get support from their network that entails a post on social media. I mean, no disrespect to that, but that does nothing. Like you are going to see almost no change with the exception of really, really, really big influencers, you know, a really big influencer tweeting and posting. But, you know, an example, one of our clients gets regularly retweeted and tweeted by Tom Peters. So in the sales space, like that's a pretty big name. It doesn't hurt her book sales by any stretch, but it doesn't make or break the bookshelf. And so it's really looking at all those resources. And then of course, money can fill a lot of gaps. You can do a lot of things with money. You could technically buy your way onto these bestseller lists, which is problematic. Yeah. It's not something I ever endorse or recommend, but just, you know, in that category of resources. Have in common. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, we won't go down that hole, but it, yeah, it's one of those yeah. things where you can, but I don't recommend it. So it's all those resources. And most people aren't coming to the table with the resources that get them the launch that they have in their head. And so that's that gap that people kind of have to reconcile early on. It doesn't mean your book won't do phenomenal things and won't sell and won't have an impact, but it, your launch might look different. And that a launch day doesn't define success or failure of a book in my mind. Right. Yeah. If you're in it for the long game, you'll still do well. And, you know, but I want to add on to what you said, because there's also another myth out there that like, if you write a book, then that will give you the resources. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or it'll provide a business for you. It'll provide clients for you. And it really doesn't work that way. And what I found is that really for an author to succeed with their book, you have to have enough resources to do something to promote it. And you can't be looking at writing a book and selling books as a solution to any kind of financial shortfall. Yeah. Because that aspect of it, you will lose money on that aspect of it pretty much the whole way, yeah. <laughs> really, because, because the revenue and the benefit and the ROI for having the book comes out of what you can do with the book once yeah. you have it. And so that's such an important distinction. But you need resources of some kind. You need to spend some money to get that book off the ground and give it legs. And there are a lot of low-cost ways, like you've talked about, that you can do it, but you've got to have something available to do that. Yeah, exactly. And above all, you need time. And if you don't have time, then you better have a whole lot of the other resources. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> the, more, the, less, the more time you have, the less money you need, I guess, to do it, which is a nice trade-off, I guess. But yeah, this has been so amazing and so helpful. And I've learned some great stuff today too. So I thank you so much for sharing with us today and being so generous and sharing your wisdom. Oh, thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.